Bill's Pod Squad is presented by the New York Lottery. The new seasonal scratch-off games from the New York Lottery are here with prizes up to $500,000. They're the perfect gift. Head to your nearest retailer and get gift one today. You must be 18 years and older to purchase a lottery ticket. Please gift responsibly. On this week's episode, we discuss our upcoming holiday plans, including our favorite Thanksgiving dishes, what Kim has been binge watching on Netflix, and we'll dip into another edition of Ask the Owner. Our guest this week is gold medal winning athlete and Rochester native, Abby Wambach. We'll take a look at some of her best moments from her professional soccer career, her love for the Buffalo Bills, and the champion mindset with her new book, Wolfpack. This week's Bills Pod Squad kicks off right now. Welcome into Bill's Pod Squad, presented by the New York Lottery. Maddie Glab and Bill's owner, President Kim Pagula, here as your host. Bill's Pod Squad brings you outside of the regular football recap and takes you into the lives of players, coaches, and more. And sometimes we even reach outside of the scope of football. Like today, we've got Abby Wambach, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, FIFA Women's World Cup champion, and a National Soccer Hall of Fame member on with us today. Here's the tie-in. She's from Rochester, New York. So we'll get into all that. Kim can't wait to talk to her as we come off of the bye week and get ready for the week 12 Chargers game. And since we're coming off of this bye week, I mean, let's just talk about how this bye week has pretty much been unlike any other bye week. Usually we get a long weekend, which we did. So thanks for giving us a couple days off, Kim. Really Although you are working, Maddie. So you didn't get a whole days off, but I appreciate you being on the show. That's um, true. That's off. true. I feel like during a football season, even when we have days off, there's always so much to catch up on just to get into a better position for the next week. So it's nice to catch up on things, get stuff done. But usually maybe in a normal year, most people, some players, some staff might head out and do a little quick vacation for a long weekend. But this year, because of COVID, and because of all the things of 2020 that have not been what we wanted, we're kind of stuck here in Western New York. Kim, I, are you still in Florida? So you've been in Florida. Yeah, and I feel like I, we've I've all been, just been at home. <laughs> right. I've been here in Florida um, over the past week and we'll be here through kind of Thanksgiving um, and then plan on heading back to Buffalo for the rest of the year. But I, I would say that, you know, it is different this year because we have be well, not me because I'm in Florida right now, but the players and the coaches and the staff, they have to do daily testing mm -hmm. every morning. And so, and if they miss a day of tests, there is an intensive protocol that they're gonna have to follow in order to get back into the facility, which I know that no player or coach wants to, to do. So they can't go anywhere. Um, they have to, they have to at least at the, in, the, in the morning have to show up for their daily testing. So you're right, it is a little bit different. Um, listen, you can still get some R&R &R back at home and, and spend some extra time with your family. And so I think that's what our players and coaches are doing. But certainly it is not the same. Yeah, it is definitely not the same. I was planning to go to Florida with my family for a long weekend. And as we got closer and closer to the bye weekend, I'm getting daily tested too. So I was like, guys, I don't think I'm going to make it. Like mm. we can't even really travel because of New York state quarantine rules. If I come back in, it's 14 days or it just changed to being, you have to get tested twice to come out of quarantine once you're coming in from a different state. So I was like, guys, I'm going to, I'm missing out on this family vacation. Hopefully we can plan something maybe for summer if things are better by then. 
they were like, okay, well, we're still going to go. So they they were in Florida. Oh, they are. They're going without I'm, you. What what a family. Great, great what a family. support there, Maddie. Right. So well, I'm getting text messages, pictures of them in Florida. And I'm like, you guys just yeah. not fair. Well, I, I will okay. say, though, that they don't have contact with players or in the players facility. So, so I get it. But, you know, um, positive cases among teams have risen over the last couple of weeks. And so there is a concern um, that, you know, any type of, uh, of a break in a bye week and the travel and all those things um, would help, would hurt, uh, you know, the rest of the season. So I, I don't blame the league for, you know, making um, our, our guys and our coaches and everyone um, in the tier system, uh, you know, stay at home and test every week uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, we all want to make sure that we get a full season in and we're all able to play and we all stay safe and healthy. Yeah, I completely agree. It's just the safest thing to do right now. And we want to stay on schedule. We want to get to the playoffs. We don't want to have a different scenario of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. We want it just, just to be how it should be in the NFL. And so far, we've gotten through to week 12. Everything on schedule. Yes, a couple games have been moved a day or two. But other than that, we haven't had to pause yet, which is really incredible, I think. Yes. And although, you know, for me, um, I, I didn't even have a vacation plan, Maddie. So I didn't even have anything fun to look forward to. Um, I am here in Florida, but not on vacation. This is obviously my home and I've got a whole office and a different staff here in Florida. So I've been just traveling from my house to my office. Um, still a lot of work to, do to be done. And of course, um, hockey is around the corner. So as you know, I also, you know, work on hockey related things. And yep. so trying to juggle all the things that happen does not afford me, even in a bye week, any vacation time. No R and R for you. Hopefully maybe like a couple of your evenings are less chaotic and you can relax a little bit in that way. Yes, yes. I definitely I, I definitely do that. I binge watch on Netflix, you know, as I fall asleep. <laughs> that's I love it. That's I it. Love Hey, got any good shows you're watching if you're binging stuff on Netflix? You know what I feel like I have been um, binging a lot. So I was, I, I don't know why I love these really action, gory type of thing. I, I don't know. I binge watched Outlander, which, okay. you know, it was a show that I never watched when it was on. And it's kind of like this, you know, period piece in Ireland. And for some reason, there is just something that um, I just, you know, I got addicted to it. I binge watched that uh, late at night. And sometimes, you know, that's my problem. I start late <laughs> and then like, it's like one o'clock. I'm like, I have to turn it off. So I don't know. That's, you know, simple pleasures of life these days is what you got to go on. I completely agree. I get on Netflix and anytime there's something new, I'm like, oh yes, there's a new movie, a new show to watch. So, well, I will say though, come Thanksgiving, holiday, Hallmark, Christmas shows are That's my thing. <laughs> yes, I binge watch on Christmas shows like no other. I love Christmas. Soon as Thanksgiving is over, I get into Christmas mode and um, and watching Hallmark movies um, is, is on my <laughs> list. And I'm not a usually a sentimental person, but I don't know why it just gets me in the mood. 
All right. Well, maybe we're going to have to do a top three Hallmark movies uh, <laughs> down the road here when Christmas is right around the corner. But we've got a top three this week. It's brought to you by Independent Health. This week's game sponsor is also Independent Health. You deserve the red shirt treatment. Our top three, since Thanksgiving is just a couple days away, we're going to do our three favorite Thanksgiving dishes. So oh, Kim, cool. I'll have you start. All right. Okay. Well, let's see. I we I would start at the end, meaning dessert. <laughs> so um, that's just me. My sweet tooth uh, gets me every time. So I'm gonna say dessert in general. I, I know it's not like one dish because usually we have more than one dessert. Uh, so everything that you can imagine, if it's from pecan pie to apple pie to to pumpkin pie to cake to pumpkin rolls, whatever dessert would be my top uh, my top dish. Uh, for Thanksgiving. Okay. Are you cooking most of this dessert? Or what is, a, what is a normal I, Thanksgiving look like in your household? I know this year is going to be very different for so many people. It's going to be a lot smaller group, yeah. more so just your immediate family rather than extended people. Right. So I guess in a normal year, what is Thanksgiving In a like normal year, it is, it is me. I'm the one doing the cooking. I'm hosting and all that stuff. This year, though, my stepdaughter is going to be the one doing all the work. Um, so I did teach her well because I said, well, I'll bring apple pie, I'll bring pumpkin pie. And she's like, no, 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 I got it. I got it, which is usually the response that I do. So I taught her really well on, on wow. hosting that basically you just do it all yourself. Um, so I don't have to do work this year, but I think I am going to sneak in some extra treats, even for myself. <laughs> because when you're, when you're visiting, right? But then when you go home, it's like well, you don't have anything left over. This so. is so true. So I'm going to do a little side baking uh, just for, you know, Terry and I um, when we get back uh, home to our house. That's the best part of Thanksgiving is the leftover meals that come from it. So you got to have some leftover. I'll, I'll stick with sweet too. So we have a side dish that isn't really a part of dessert, although it tastes like dessert. Uh, my grandma makes this amazing cranberry sauce and whipped cream on the side. And the whipped cream, what makes it so good, it has cream cheese in it, which might sound a little bit weird, but it's so good. So my grandma and my mom make it. I'm going to try and make it this year since I'll be in Buffalo. I bet it has sugar in it too. Year. Oh, so sugar. much yes, sugar. Yes. So I know much exactly sugar. what you're talking about. Yeah. So I would tell my mom to just make a whole nother one on the side so I could just eat it for like the next week okay. afterwards. So that's my favorite side dish, one of my favorite side dishes. What's number two so on your number list? two again, it's probably gonna be, um, I'm gonna say, you know, the sweet potato casserole, mm. right? So again, another sweet dish, a side dish, but, but another sweet dish. Um, I, I, I love sweet potatoes in general. And I love, actually, when I bake a sweet potato, I love eating the skin off of the sweet potato. So after it's baked for like, you know, an hour or more, and it's all soft and gooey, you know, the sugar from the sweet potato kind of just oozes out. And like, I end up, I eat all the skins of all the sweet potatoes <laughs> before I make the casserole. So, but at the end, but at the end of the day, sweet potato casserole with the brown sugar, lots mm -hmm. of butter and some, some nuts sprinkled on top. Um, yeah, I that's uh like I said that that's sounds a really side good. dish but to me that's I could eat that for dessert too yes my number two has to be mashed potatoes and gravy maybe gravy should be its own 
category for me because my whole plate is like doused in gravy, I feel like. I'm a big mashed potatoes fan. I don't eat mashed potatoes a lot. So when I do have them, I go all out and they have to be, you know, mashed potatoes made with so much butter, so much cream, salt, like terrible for you, but they <laughs> taste so dang good. So that's number two for me. What about number one for you? Num number, uh, let's see, number one for me. Oh, sorry, Maddie, I did it backwards. I gave you my number one, then my number two. And so my third, because I gave you one as dessert would be my number one. So oh right, so okay. Did it so whatever, whatever order your number. Yeah. So three. my third What's your probably, three? Yeah. My third would probably be um, the cranberry sauce. Mm. So I know you said you had a special dish. I'm gonna say I love the cranberry jelly that comes out of a can. <laughs> it is really good. You know, so probably because it's bad for you and it's full of sugar. I'm sure, um, and not the all natural way. But I love the uh, the tanginess. I just love the um, just you know cranberry with the turkey. I am not a big gravy fan. Um, mm. I am I like only like a little bit of gravy, but I love a lot of cranberry to really kick up the taste of my turkey. Which I don't know why it's just not high on my list. The actual turkey part is not really high on my list. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people say that it's like turkey is not the favorite thing. Some people don't even do turkey or they'll do another meat on the side because turkey is not a favorite amongst a lot of people. I'm going to say turkey, though, is one of my favorite parts uh, about Thanksgiving, but it's turkey with a lot of gravy. <laughs> if I just have like dry turkey, like nah. Mm -mm. it's got to be like dunked in gravy like just give me a bowl of gravy and then just put some turkey in it that's mm -hmm. how I'll take it but it sounds like all three of yours were kind of sugary <laughs> yes and so Maddie if you're you know you're uh your family is here in Florida um you're staying there you got a test are you preparing your own personalized Thanksgiving meal I am going to do a little bit of cooking, but I have a friend who's doing a takeout, a drive-by takeout oh, Thanksgiving. Wow, so I'm going to drive by and get some takeout Thanksgiving food uh, from her family and then take it home. So oh, the safe awesome. way to do Thanksgiving this year, I feel like a lot of people may be doing something similar, kind of like just a grab-and-go meal for extended oh. people. Yeah, no, and like if you think about our rookies and think about some of the guys that don't have their family here with them or not married, um, you know, they're rookies and they're living kind of in an apartment, not here permanently, a lot of uh, guys on our practice squad. And yeah, they, they are, they're going to be kind of alone this year. Uh, so not gathering uh, with other players in other homes um, or with their family. So um, it, it may be a little bit different this year. So, um, but Again, a lot to be thankful for. We Definitely. are safe. We are healthy. Um, our world looks a little bit different, but we is still a great world to be in. Yeah, I totally agree. And we've got a lot to look forward to uh, when all this is over. And next Thanksgiving, people are just going to celebrate even more. Hopefully we are out of the woods by next Thanksgiving and can have a mass party or whatever you want to do with your family members and friends to just really celebrate 
and feel like holidays are back on track. So looking forward to when holidays are what they normally are. Uh, I've got to bring up the Dion Dawkins fan box that is available. I wore it on last week's episode. It's the Thanksgiving themed shirt. Uh, it's available on BillsFanBox.com until Sunday, November 29th at 11.59 p.m. So you got a couple more days to go get it. Proceeds Benefit Independent Health Foundation. It says Feast Mode. It's really cool, and it's Dion's, so just, just go ahead and get it. And the Buffalo Bills are proud to partner with National Grid in promoting the Safety First initiative, where every time a Bills safety makes a tackle at home, National Grid will donate $50 to the 100 Club of Buffalo in support of first responders and their families. National Grid reminds you to put safety first in your home with this easy tip. Make sure to keep all the outside vents to your home clear of snow and debris. All right, here's our interview with a woman who competed in four FIFA Women's World Cup tourneys and played on the women's U.S. national soccer team from 2001 to 2015. It's Abby Wambach. Abby, we are so excited to have you on this podcast today. I've got to say you're the first gold medalist that we've had on the podcast. So a big accomplishment uh, for Kim and I to have someone like you <laughs> on this podcast. Usually we have other professional uh, sports players more or so in the, in the realm of the NFL sort of things, but it's awesome to reach people all over and the reach for you is that you're a Rochester native so you're kind of in our neck of the woods Rochester is somewhere that the Bills frequent a lot during training camp unfortunately this year because of COVID we held training camp in Buffalo but did you grow up cheering for the Bills I've got to ask you that first being from Rochester were you guys a football family at all I know you grew up playing soccer but were the Bills a part of your family yeah, you know, uh, of course, I, I was in my, you know, teenage years when the Buffalo Bills made those four appearances in the Super Bowl. So we became obvious fans. It's unfortunate we were never ever, ever able to bring one home. Sad for Kelly and um, all those guys and, and, and the Buffalo, you know, the Buffalo Bills franchise. But, and, and truly, I think it broke my heart a little bit. <laughs> For those years, it was so hard to root for a team that could never follow through in the end. Um, but, you know, being from upstate New York, um, I feel so grateful because the kind of people who have followed me throughout my whole career, even beyond soccer, um, I, it, every single place that I go to, there is somebody that is connected to Rochester in some way. It's like the six degrees separation from Rochester, not Kevin Bacon, I swear. Um, everywhere I go, people are like, oh, I'm from Rochester. And they're like, I'm a huge Weigel's fan. You know, all of the, you know, garbage plates, all the things that just nostalgia brings right to the surface. Abby, I will say I grew up in Fairport, uh, New York, and obviously a Rochester native um, as well. And, you know, we moved south because of my oldest daughter's professional tennis player. And so we moved south. And I tell people all the time, I wish I'd raised my family back in Fairport, back in the Rochester area. Um, maybe I didn't appreciate it at the time when I was growing up, but now as we look about all the chaos, sometimes I, I feel like it's going on in the world, 
what a wonderful place to grow up. And yeah. I really do miss it. I am fortunate. I get to go back to Pittsburgh for training camp every year and partake in the things that uh, you just talked about. Um, and I get to go back to my old house and do the drive by and I get to go to Abbott's custard and, you know, eat ice cream three times a day. Um, but you're right. It, it was a special time to grow up there in Rochester. Um, you were, you're, you have a lot of people in your family. You, mm -hmm. you have siblings, brothers, sisters, um, you're the youngest of them. Um, you know, tell us about just growing up and how soccer became, you know, so important to you and the effects of what your family and your siblings had on that. Yeah, you know, I think about that all the time. You know, I'm raising my own children and I do believe Rochester was one of the best places to grow up. Um, very wholesome, you know, we never really locked our doors. Um, we lived on a, on, on a cul-de-sac, so we were always outdoors in the circle playing this or that sport. Uh, and, and it's truly an honor and, and something I'm so prideful of to say that I'm a Rochesterian, you know, somebody that grew up from Western New York, especially because now I'm a little bit of a softie when it comes to the weather. Um, so I, I always say, you know, I grew up in, in, in the winters of, of upstate New York, so I can do anything. But now I live in Florida and I'm totally a softie. Um, and, and I think that as it relates to my siblings, you know, I'm so proud that I'm the, the youngest of this family. Uh, and you know, I, the eldest in our family, Beth, she, she went to Harvard and Columbia Medical School. So she went down you know, the very intense doctor path uh, she's a surgeon, and um, I thought, okay, I think the only way I'm going to get any attention here is if I stick to the sport thing, uh, and it worked out. You know, <laughs> I'm 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 proud of my career, and I'm proud to to represent Rochester everywhere I go. Well, was soccer your, your always your first sport? Uh, just you know, from early on, um, as I said, I you know, my daughter uh, was a professional. You know, she turned professional when she was thirteen, but probably you know when she was seven, five, seven was more when we recognized, oh, she's got pretty good high hand eye coordination. Um, you know, wh when did you realize that, or when did your parents realize that you had a special skill? I think that I, because I was being like carried around to all the sporting events, we come from a, I come from a family of athletes. Um, you know, even though my sister went to Harvard, she played basketball there. My sister, Laura, went to Xavier and played soccer there. Um, all my brothers were very active in, the, in their high school sports situations. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was kind of a really exceptional, naturally talented athlete. I played soccer in my first three soccer games. I ended up scoring 27 goals. Um, and at that point, my parents were like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I played t-ball and I ended up playing basketball through high school. Uh, I, I basically give all of my heading ability in the, in the realm of soccer, I give the credit to basketball, being able to learn how to jump and time my jump, um, being able to time, you know, and, and predict the trajectory of the ball and whatnot. So I, I believe that Yes, I had natural talent. Um, and then pairing that with uh, an obsessive drive to be one of the best. Um, you know, what do they say? Opportunity and work ethic. Um, is, that's what the definition of luck is, right? Uh, and so for me, I just had such a good situation where uh, I was talented and then mixed with my obsession of getting better every day. Um, it just gave it gave way to the career that I was able to have. 
I've got to bring up the fact that you guys were on a panel together recently that I tuned in on, and there are some other awesome athletes on it, Richard Sherman, Chris Paul also on that panel. Uh, I guess, what is it like for people like you and Kim to cross paths in a Zoom world? I'm sure there's been a lot of different opportunities that have presented itself this year and that you've been able to do maybe things that you don't normally do or be on panels that you aren't normally on because we've all discovered Zoom and because like Kim can hop on and you can hop on from different parts of the country and together talk about how sports change, changes the world for better. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's actually the only reason why I agreed to do it because I had yet to meet Kim um, <laughs> because of our Rochester up, you know, Western New York um, connections. I was really eager to speak with her and hear her story, you know, and I think um, for me, it was so special just to, to see another woman, um, a, a person that I respected and looked up to for many, many years and to, to get to know, you know, I mean, this is one of the bonuses from COVID where I think people are more more inclined to jump on Zooms and to connect in certain ways. Um, and for me, I just want to know all of the, the women that are doing really like work in a man's world to learn from them and to see how we can get more women in this man's world that we've all been living in. And, and that's what I loved about that conference. It wasn't, it's not just that conference, but the opportunities that we get, Abby and I, um, we're fortunate and blessed to, to have to speak on topics that really speak to us, you know, about women in leadership, um, about women in sports, you know, about the social injustices that are going on in this world. So you're right, Zoom has provided a lot of opportunity and you get to meet some great people that I would have never maybe have not gotten an opportunity to meet um, through Zoom, like Abby and, and some of the other guests on there. But I do think that's important. It's like, why are we spending our time? Why are we taking time out of our day to talk about um, and be on these different panels? And, and Abby and I, of course, um, you know, despite wanting to just introduce um, to ourselves to each other, um, it's also about the subject that we were talking about that I think is really important. Absolutely. Abby, once you retired in 2015, just playing soccer for your entire life, was it easy to get out of the realm of being an athlete that competed at the highest level and move on to what was next? Or was it kind of tough to find what was next? I mean, you are such a prominent figure now in our world of pushing for equality for women and equality for all. Was that something that you knew you wanted to go into kind of after soccer? Yeah, well, I mean, I had the unique experience shortly after my retirement um, of getting what's called the SB Icon Award. Mm -hmm. uh, I found myself on stage next to Peyton Manning and Kobe Bryant, may he rest in peace. Um, and all three of us were being given this Icon Award uh, in, in the retirements from our respective careers. So for me, I had this moment, this like aha moment that I was on stage feeling so honored. And then the three of us turned to walk off stage and I realized, wow, we three are walking into three very different retirements. You know, their biggest concerns were where they were gonna invest their hundreds of millions of dollars that they rightfully earned. Um, and mine was how I was going to literally create a new life for myself. Um, you know, as a, as a pro athlete, there's a lot of hand-holding that goes on, right? I have a manager, I've got, a, I've got an agent, I've got coaches, I've got strength and conditioning coordinators, people who are basically in charge of my body, my life, managing my calendar. So when I stepped away from the game, not all of that goes away, 
but I have to actually be the manager of my own life. I have to figure out how to do tasks that I kind of uh, would, you know, essentially was paying other people to do so that I could have this obsessive focus on soccer. So people don't understand that this transition, not only is it terrifying, because even at the time I was, you know, I was getting offered these amazing opportunities to go and speak and talk to the, the most successful people on the planet. And, you know, in my heart, everybody around me is telling me, oh, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. But in my heart, I realized I was going to be the only one that was going to captain my own life at that point, that I was going to lead my own self into the next phase of whatever my life would become. And when you don't see it, it's terrifying. It's totally terrifying and when you don't know exactly what you want to do and as an athlete when you've done this one thing for so long you actually don't in in like the deepest part of yourself you don't know if you're capable of doing anything else i had this real fear that i was just a soccer player um it took me a few years to figure out okay what what it was that i was good at i did i did countless life work design programs um I met with people, I, I invested, I tried things, right? And uh, what ended up changing my life was being offered an opportunity to, give, to deliver the commencement speech at Barnard College in New York City. Um, truly, that, that was a life changer. I didn't realize that that speech would go viral. That speech turns into the book Wolfpack, which has completely changed my life because now I'm a professional speaker going around the world and talking to corporations about the leadership philosophies that I wrote about in Wolfpack. So, Terrifying, right? All of all of your athletes that step away from the Buffalo Bills have this fear. Yes, they probably have earned more money than any female athlete ever has, but it's still fear because the money is, is irrelevant. It's like, what do I spend the rest of my life doing? So circling back to that moment on stage with Kobe and, and Peyton, I kind of solidified myself and, and promised myself that night in the hotel room that um, I would do everything for the rest of my life to make sure that that next athlete that stepped into their retirement after me would not have the same experience. Um, and that the, the realization that this wasn't just women pro athletes, this was all women everywhere, like in every industry, in every city, in every state, when they retire, they retire with less money than their male counterparts. So I am trying to systematically go about trying to change those institutions and the systems that hold women back, getting women paid better, um, getting women respected more. Uh, and that's just what I've set my, my, my North Star to. Uh, and it's been doing all right for me since. Your book, Wolfpack, that you just mentioned, um, one of the things in there, one of the rules that you say in your book that I love is the old rule was, you know, stay on the path or stay in your lane, as, as sometimes we like to we talk about in business. And the new one is create your own path. And certainly you've been doing that. Um, do you feel it is easier now than when you retired for women, uh, for athletes to create their own path? That's a good question. I think that it's a little bit easier. I think that people are coming around. Social justice is definitely at the forefront. Uh, it's a big, big topic, something that, that the world is talking about more than it was four years, five years ago when I retired. Um, but I think more importantly, what I have to keep reminding myself, because no matter what I go out and talk about, it always has to be true to me, right? So this idea of staying on the path, uh, indifference to venturing off the path. Everything good in my life has only ever happened when I ventured off the path and took a risk. 
and I ventured off the path and, and, and collectively figured out what our goals were, right? And how we were gonna approach said goal as a collective and where we were gonna be able to take our team uh, for where, from where we were to where we ought to be. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, that, I think that that is an especially important rule, especially for women. Um, a lot of us are lied to from the time that we're born uh, even with the fairy tales, you know, the Little Red Riding Hood, it's, it's a partly, it's a big reason why I named the book Wolfpack is because, you know, all of us little girls are reading these, these fairy tales of what it means to be a, a person, a, a woman in the world. And here we are, we're being told Little Red Riding Hood, as long as she stays on the path and she's going to be safe, right? If she ventures off the path and she's going to be eaten by the big bad wolf. And like, that's just not true. <laughs> I mean, I spent two decades with women who were wolves, right? And we were a pack of our own. And because we did it together, because we collectively bought into an idea, and because we, we worked towards that process and we worked towards those goals, we were able to achieve success that we never even could imagine. And doing it in your own way, on your own path. And certainly in recent um, you know, events, um, the hiring of the Marlins general manager, uh, Kim, Aang, I, I hope I say her name right. I know I got the Kim part right. I know I got that part right. Certainly a momentous um, moment um, for baseball, for our society, for women in general. And I, I do think that it is meaningful when those barriers do happen that, you know, and the representation for the world to see and other women to see. Um, so that was such a, a great moment um, for that to happen. And certainly hope and i'm sure you did too as well that she gets afforded uh, of course the same opportunities as we know sports is not easy you know you're you're uh, judged on wins and losses and things like that and we hope that that she gets the same opportunity that's been afforded men um and i love that you know the, uh, i read she you know has done it 10 times like that she has been interviewing for that gm job and had never gotten it yet so the perseverance um, you need to be a wolf in order to to have that kind of perseverance. So Absolutely. I totally understand what what you're saying and what you and that, I think that's why your your book has um, really elevated you and and like you said in in helping leadership skills and in helping companies uh, because it does speak to a lot of truths that we all are, are realizing truly happens. Well, I think it's so important to remember and understand how these institutions have been built. Right, they've been built by men for men. And so when you have some marginalized folks, right? And if you don't know what marginalized means, it just means people who are not in power, right? So women, people of color, black women, black men, these folks who live on the margins through their whole lives. If you have a table, right? Let's say you have a board table, a boardroom, and you've got 10 seats at that table. Historically, only two of those seats are given to women. I mean, in recent years, like if we go way back, then none of those seats are given to women. But here's the thing, this is what we have to really think about. Whatever we're, we're, we're working for, whatever this corporation is, whether we're making a campaign, whether we're making a product, whether we're, we're deciding on players, right? Whatever it is, if not every person at that table is being represented, who complete the full picture, the whole page, even people on the margins, then those products, those campaigns, and every decision that gets made around that table is going to have bias. It's going to be skewed towards a white man. And this is not to say that white men aren't important. They are. It's just to say that we need to share the responsibility. And Kim being at the, Mar the Marlins, like 
that for me is just, it's so symbolic. She's earned it. She's going to kill it. I have no doubt. But for me, it's also so symbolic for those kids that are growing up and not just the girls, by the way, we're also talking about the little boys that are growing up and looking at leadership and looking at those tables where decisions are made and how they see those tables being filled with diverse and inclusive people. So those, those decisions, right? Those products that go out, they need to be represented and they need to be decided upon by the collective who we are as a people. And we are everything, right? We're not just white men. And white men aren't the smartest people in the room all the time, right? There are many people who can make really good decisions, you know, and it frustrates me. It makes me crazy, crazy when people say, well, we just can't find a good enough woman to fill this position. That is crap. I think that you just haven't, you don't want to. I think that you have a deep misogyny that is so stuck down that you can't even see it yourself. I think that you are afraid to give up any kind of power that you have. And if you can't, if you are working in an organization and you don't question the kind of people that are sitting around the most important tables that where decisions are made, then you aren't doing right by that company. Well, you aren't speaking just passionately about, about these issues. You actually act upon a lot of them. And one of the things is your ownership and your investment in the Angel City soccer team uh, coming soon so cool. to LA. So I think that is an awesome thing because tell us about who is behind this. I mean, obviously you, but I know there is a much bigger group behind this. And what was, you know, what was your purpose and, and what was your thinking uh, beside the love of soccer, um, yes. of, of having this, starting this ownership group? So random day, I'll just tell you the kind of the full story. Um, I got on my Instagram and uh, this is not a name dropping episode, but this is the only way I can properly tell the story. <laughs> Natalie Portman, the actress and activist, she DM'd me and said, can I, can I call you tomorrow? And I was like, yes, Natalie Portman, you can call me tomorrow. <laughs> no big deal. Like, what could this be about, you know? <laughs> So she called me the next day and she told me the story about, um, she was at a Time's Up Connect event a couple years ago and I was invited to speak at this Time's Up event. And so I was on stage and I did my spiel about pay inequities um, that the women's team faced and she had, she had no idea. This is the first she's heard hearing about it, right? And so she got, she got pissed, she got heartbroken. <laughs> And there were other women in the room that have also partnered with Angel FC. Um, and she started collecting people. Okay, how, how do we solve this, right? How do we figure out a way, you know, like Ava DuVernay says, um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna cru crucify this quote, um, I'm paraphrasing, but she's like, y'all are over there trying to break through a glass ceiling of a house that the men built. She's like, I'm just gonna be over here building my own home. And I think that's the kind of philosophy that Natalie embodied in terms of how she started the process of building Angel, what we now know as Angel FC. Because back then it was just this idea, this, this, this need that she knew had to be filled. Um, us women on the national team were not getting paid the same as the men. We were in fact earning more sponsorship and revenue dollars for US soccer than our men's national team. So usually that's the big debate. Well, the men make more, so of course they're gonna make, they're gonna get paid more. 
That's actually not the case. The women's team actually earns more dollars for the men for, for the US Soccer Federation than the men and get paid less. So there's a real argument and I digress, but back to the story, she found uh, a woman named Karen Nortman, Julie Ehrman, Alexis Ohanian, and herself. Um, and they got together and they said, how can we reimagine and innovate what sports team ownership looks like? How can we democratize this so that more people, especially the people that we're serving, can be involved? So they're basically treating Angel FC as a startup and they will do specific rounds of funding. And this, this first offering, they called all the former women's national team players that have some sort of tie to Southern California. And I lived there for like seven years. So of course she calls and she tells me the story. She's like, we're gonna start a women's professional team. It's gonna be the most different team that you've ever been a part of. Um, it's gonna be majority owned by women. And we're gonna run this and it's gonna be the best branded, the best franchise in the history of women's sports. And so before she could finish this sentence, she said, do you want to be an owner and an investor? I was like, yes, before she could get any more words in. I was, yes, of course, of course, I want in. So here we are, um, there's tons of people who have, I, I've gotten more calls about this Angel City FC ownership than like I ever did for Olympic medals or World wow. Cup because people are so incredibly interested. Not to mention like the, the biggest potential for growth is women's sports right now, especially women's soccer in the professional world because it's by comparison, it's fairly cheap to run the team. Um, it's fairly inexpensive because you only got eight, nine, 10 cities that are gonna be involved by the time we get in there in 2022. Um, and it's going to be led by women, right? So here we are. And, and I just think it's, when you start something with an intention that's true and pure, um, they want to match philanthropy with profit. So they want to be doing good while also making money. And I love that because so many times, how many, how, how many women do you know that are like, well, just be grateful that you even have the opportunity. It's like, no. I want to make money. I want this team to be profitable. And I want actually all the ownership, uh, any, any percentage share that you have. I want everybody making money here. I want the players making money. I want the owners making money. I want this franchise to be the best in the world. So, so yeah, that, I mean, long story short, um, never in my wildest dreams as a female athlete did I ever think that I'd have the opportunity to participate as an owner in a franchise, let alone um, the game that I love, right? I mean, I have so much experience and, 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 you know, I feel like I've been a part of a startup for the last 15, 20 years with the national team where we weren't getting many audiences early on in my career, uh, 2,000, 3,000 max. And then I step away and we're getting 25, 30,000 people at every game, right? So to be a part of a build, is something that is like deep ingrained in who I am. And I love it. I love sports. I love the way that we're going to redefine what sports team ownership is. And no offense to you, Kim, but it's usually only offered to, you know, the billionaire white men of the world. And this is just a totally different scenario. And hopefully it works because 
we're trying to create a whole new system for people to get involved. Well, Kim, being an owner, do you have do you have some advice or, or any uh, any any first first couple of weeks on the job advice to Abby as as they go ahead and and try and break through a wall here, which they are totally capable of doing? Yeah, no, I I would I would say that was a question I was going to ask. Is that you know I wish that I had some experience in playing football before I bought a team. And, and obviously Natalie Portman is no, is no dummy. And the fact that she's recruiting you is just so smart on her part. Um, because I do think that there is an element and we don't have that enough in any of our leagues. I know some of our players are, are just starting to dabble into, we saw Patrick Mahomes, you know, being a part ownership in, um, in the baseball team. And we saw um, Larry Fitzgerald in the basketball team and um, minority stakes, but even, even at any level, um, I think that truly understanding when you can understand because it's always been right players versus owners or players versus the league. Um, and so having someone in that ownership group that has and knows and understands from the player side and help can bridge that gap is so smart. I would say from an ownership standpoint, it is not easy. <laughs> it is not easy because you are, as you talked about, and you're absolutely right. How do you still make money and still do good? And sometimes there are days when that those lines are so much more bl blurred and it's almost like there's days when you have to kind of split the baby in half, you know, like that's the only decision. Um, and I would say sometimes that is just kind of how do you as a, um, you know, I think probably as a player, you're thinking about your current contract, the game you have ahead. In ownership, you have to think about, okay, my organization long-term and the bigger picture and some of the decisions aren't popular or there may not be the uh, ones you want to make at the time, but you're thinking big picture. Um, that's kind of how I see the difference between ownership um, and being an athlete. Although I don't have the experience of being an athlete. My dog is about to bark right now, so. <laughs> I've got to well, say I one thing, one thing about the Bills is like, and I feel like with this Angel City team, it's going to be the same. It's, the Bills are loaded with good people. And I feel like when you have good people from the top to the bottom, like it's a well-oiled machine because everybody's working towards one goal. It's very family-oriented with the Buffalo Bills. There's a lot of love and respect for everyone from head coach to owner to GM. And someone on a lower-level staff position like me I'll walk into the cafeteria in a normal year and Sean McDermott will say, Hey, how are you doing? And like just simple, small interactions where everybody feels at some point that like they're on the same playing field, I feel like goes well beyond what you would think it might would. And it sounds like that's one of the goals of Angel City is just to be loaded up with just great people. Yeah. And, and that is absolutely it's been one of the the things that that keeps driving our franchise forward um you know our our ceo julie ehrman um she's put together a phenomenal team of really really great people um and you know i've told her look unconditional love here like use me however much you want um ask me any question i will help in every search or research that can ever be to help this team win because at the end of the day I'm also a freaking competitor and I want this team to be the best team in the league every year. I want it to be the best club in the world. And I know it takes time, but I think you're absolutely right, Maddie. I think building it around good people um, 
and I don't know if it gets better in terms of ownership that the four primary investors in this team um, decided that they wanted to offer ownership shares to the very people who helped build women's soccer in this country, to these former national team players, including myself. And they said, listen, we want you a part of this. You can invest whatever you want. And for me, it's like, because look, some of these players retired 15 years ago and they have totally new lives now and they're nurses or firefighters, right? And, or soccer coaches. Um, and so it's like, they want to be a part of it, but they didn't, some of us didn't have all the money to be able to invest. And they said, it's all right. We just want you to be a part of this and help us build this franchise. And I don't know. It's like, feels like, feels like I hit the lottery, right? feels like all of that time spent building women's pro soccer really is paying off in, in so many ways because it's also brilliant to be a part of something that I helped build for so many years. It's, you know, when you retire from something, you don't miss the game so much as you miss the people and the ways and the connections and those relationships that, that lasted for 15, 20 years, right? Like that's what feels like I'm missing. So, you know, some of these Hollywood stars, they're, they're, amazing business women right and i want to pick their brains i want to know what they're up to i want to know what's going on and this is how we can collectively band together as women and i think that this is a a model right for what could be possible for women out there who want more out of their lives who want to be owners or want to be ceos or you you have to find a group of people to do life with and i think that i found another group of people to do life with with angel fc Oh, that, that's awesome, Abby. And you said that you have children. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how old they are. You know, how, you know, how are you as a parent now going to parent your child? <laughs> is, do they, do you see a special skill in them already? And, you know, do, are you hoping that they end up being uh, following your path? Oh, that's so funny. Um, so I have three kids. We have a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 12-year-old. Um, and the 14 and 12 actually play soccer. When the did 17. you have time to have three kids those ages? Yeah, so I got, I got married four years ago and my wife had, had three children with a previous marriage. Oh, I, got, I have two of those too, Abby. Yeah. I've got two of those. I, I, got, I got three kids with none of the hard baby work. <laughs> you hit the lottery there. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so when I stepped into the family, you know, these kids were playing rec league soccer and I was like, we're gonna we're gonna go into the club system we're gonna step it up a notch right um and it's it's been so fun to sit on the sidelines and watch the worst soccer in the history of all soccer like youth, <laughs> youth kids soccer is terrible right but it's so awesome to watch them develop um and no like i have no anticipation or expectation of them to be ever following in my footsteps i think that that would be unfair <laughs> Yeah. And also, you know, they're uniquely themselves. They're going to make their own lives. And if it includes soccer, great. I'll be along for the ride. Um, and, you know, it's just been, it's just been really special to, I don't know, recommit myself to the watching of the game and learning from and, and seeing it through the eyes of my kids. It's, it's actually brought me closer to the game in some weird way, um, but it's also... I mean, it's like watching grass grow at times. Just these games. I just want to like go out there and fix the problems, but I just can't, you know, I got to let them fail and let them figure it out on their own. 
Well, I'm going to give a big shout out to step parents because it is not an easy job, but I would say being one myself and Abby, you being one, it, it is so rewarding um, to be a part of, of their lives um, in a different way. Um, so I, I love my experience I've had, uh, as I said, like I said, it hasn't been always been easy, but um, at the end of the day, it, it has really uh, made me who I am and, and part of who I am. Uh, so shout out to all those step parents out there. Yeah, we actually, we, because of the weird, you know, the weird connotation, the evil stepmother <laughs> situation, we actually have reframed it and we call it bonus parent or bonus hey, mom. Yeah, we didn't um, have that growing up. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, we wanted to redefine what that can look like and be for these children. So, you know, I, I don't know a different life. I only know the life that I have. Um, and, and I safely can say that I literally don't know how parents of two parents only families do life <laughs> with children. We literally need each other. We're very close. Craig, their father, um, we're texting every single day like, hey, did you remember the dentist appointment? Literally like today. Um, hey, I've got a work thing. All three of us work from home. I've got a work thing. Can you take the kid to soccer? Blah, 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 whatever. We have like a really great relationship. We're like that cool modern family, I guess. Um, and I, I just don't know how parents, two parents um, in, a, in a traditional um, marriage slash, you know, relationship do it. We need the three people. It's like, I mean, we're one-on-one -on -one defense here, right? The, <laughs> And it's been so special. Like I, I, I can't believe that I didn't actually give birth to these children. The way that I love them and the way that I feel about them feels like, I feel like I just like had have amnesia from the time like before I met them and knew them that I just like don't remember their younger life for some reason. Um, but they're just, they're incredible. And they, and they have made me a better person parenting is the hardest and most rewarding thing you'll ever do. I truly believe that. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that Glennon and Craig did a really good job raising these children to love me, to respect me, to make it feel like a true family. Speaking of children, I think a lot of the change that we want to see in the world starts with the kids and starts with um, teaching them maybe a different way than we were raised, teaching the girls to throw out the old rules that we were raised on and learn new ones. And you have the Wolfpack book also for young readers. So what's your goal with that book? And also just your goal in general of, of trying to help these kids see life in a different way and grow up in a world that was better. Uh, than what we were raised in and you can leave this world thinking it's a better place uh, leaving it. Well, I, you know, I, I think that the, the world that we are currently witnessing uh, on media, on social media, you know, I don't care where you fall on the political scheme or the political lines or where you fall on either side of the aisle. I do know that there might be no more important time than right now to be handing our children books that are based and forged on honor. Um, I think that I think that kids sometimes look at some of the actions um, of the leaders of this world of our of our government and think that that's okay, right? And I think that it's really important that our kids understand that there are there is a different way. And we can make good choices. 
doesn't mean we're perfect people. Humanity and, and life is long and life is filled with mistakes. But this book, the reason why I wrote it for these young kids truly is because I think that kids are not given enough power and are not taught the most important things about life, how to be a leader of their own life. Um, conversation about finances, like why don't we have school teach our children about what money means, like what it, what it is, how to save it, right? Those are, I think leadership and money are some of the most important things that a human being can actually learn. And if you teach them as young kids, then it's gonna be easier for them to get throughout the whole of their life. Because we are in fact, just leaders of our own lives. Like whether or not you're gonna be a, an owner of the, the Buffalo Bills or you know, a teacher or whatever, doesn't matter. You still have to figure out how to lead your own self through the whole of your life, which hopefully is gonna be very long. That's great, Abby, because you, you are exactly right. Leadership is not something, you know, people talk, leadership can be learned. Um, it's not just a God-given, but, but we tend to start working on our leadership skills when we are adults, right? Or some of us never, but, but usually as an adult. And the fact that you really see children and you see our youth as having the ability, ability to really understand leadership and build those skills is awesome to hear. I just, I, I love that, that part. And I'm so, I wish I had a book like that when I was growing up. Same. And so the fact that you've got one for adults and one for children, both very meaningful, um, meaningful rules as you outline in your book, but um, just, it's, it's awesome. I love, I love what you're doing there. Thank you. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm proud of these books, of course. Um, and buy them if you want, but don't if you don't, right? It, it, it matters not if you buy my leadership stuff. What, I, what I'm hoping to get across to all the parents who are listening to this is that get your kids in front of leadership that you respond to, that you respect, that you would want to become. Like, turn off the TV if there are leaders on that television that are people you don't want your children to turn into. That's easy, that's it, that's all I'm asking. Don't even buy my book, I don't care. I think it's so important that we have to reestablish what real leadership looks like. And you know, point them to the people that we respect um, and hopefully it's different people than I would recommend. Abby, thank you so much for the conversation. This was awesome to get to talk to you and to kind of get inside your mind what, what makes you the person you are today and just get to know a little bit more about your books, about this Angel FC team. So many exciting things in the horizon. And just also thanks for being a trailblazer for women in this world. I really appreciate people like you, people like Kim, just women who are in roles uh, that are filled with a lot of men next to them. It's great to see how women have kind of come into the world in the last 10 years and be able to fill up roles that aren't usually filled by women. Well, I couldn't be honestly more grateful and honored to be a part of this. Kim, I've looked up to you for a long time now. I think that what you're doing and how you're symbolizing so much of the same stuff that Kim, the GM from the Mar Mar Marlins is, 
um, you are making it possible to one day for us women to dream of being maybe a, an NFL owner one day. And I'll just throw my hat in the ring. If you want to add me to any of your ownership group, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly be a part of it. Heck yeah. Um, like I said earlier, I don't have the hundreds of millions of dollars that Peyton and Kobe made. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, I just think you're fabulous. Keep doing what you're doing. And if I could help you or the Buffalo Bills in any way, just let me know. Well, thank you, Abby. We need more people like you out there being the voice for, for all of us, no matter our gender, no matter our race, um, just people, really good people with a great message for both our youth and, and for adults. So thank you so much for being there. If you ever come back up to Pittsburgh at all, let yeah. us know. We would be happy to, to give you the VIP treatment. So I know they would be so excited as, as we would be too, to have you back uh, in your hometown. I would love it. I would love it. Right. You guys take care, okay? Thanks, Abby. Thanks, Abby. You too. Bye, y'all. The New York Lottery is giving away $50 worth of the new limited edition New York Series scratch-off tickets with a chance to win up to $1 million to one of our lucky listeners each week. Visit buffalobills.com slash New York Lottery or click on the link in the podcast description to enter now. Kim, we asked our fans if they've had any questions for you. And of course, we got a bunch, a lot were about fans in the stands in the new stadium, but we've already answered those. And we know we're in New York at that right now. <laughs> we're in, I'm in Buffalo and we're going to the orange zone. So, or we are in the orange zone. So back to kind of staying at home for the next couple months. But we do have a couple Cool questions from some people. Jim Wickens wanted to know, what is the ownership's weekly routine during the season? Are you meeting with the GM, the coach, the players? How does your schedule look like during the season for you? So I'm going to assume it's a regular season and not, yes. not the <laughs> pandemic season. Um, well, although they're not that much different, but there is a little bit more engagement than usually. Um, so, you know, as far as I'll start with Sunday is the beginning of the week. Um, obviously, game day, uh, you know, big, big deal. Um, but then on Monday, we always do a kind of lowdown. Uh, first, we do a lowdown with our, our doctors and our athletic trainer about injuries and, and post-game things that um, happen, um, where players are, who's going to be available, maybe not available, what the recovery is like. So we always, we always so it's Brandon Bean, Coach McDermott, um, the doctors and our trainers. Uh, we have a meeting on Monday. Um, after some of the players are already in for some rehabbing and, and getting checked out. So we always do that. And then we always do kind of like a re, then with Coach and Brandon, we just kind of talk about the game, why it's still fresh in our minds. And, and Coach has been able to have, you know, a little bit of film to look at um, and to answer. And so we just kind of go talk through the game. And then we talk through kind of just, you know, what the, the team coming up, you know, if there's roster moves that need to be made, things like that. Um, you know, like I said, it's Monday, so just very fresh, um, but just kind of setting out the whole week of practice. Um, if it's a travel day, you know, if it's an away game for the next game, the travel time and things like that. So just really just generally talk about those things. And then I, we let them do their job. So they, they go coach, they go scout, they go do what they uh, are, are paid to do. And Terry and I kind of stay back on a normal year. Uh, Terry and I, when we're in town, would generally just stop in at practice, just check on the guys, talking with the other coaches, just being a part of the team um, during practices when they when they have them for the week. Um, and then that's really about it. Um, sometimes when T 
Tara and I are not in town and we're going to join the team maybe just for the game um, itself on a Sunday and fly in separately with the team. Um, coach will call us on Friday and just kind of say, hey, this is kind of what we're thinking going into the game plan for this uh, for the upcoming game on Sunday. Um, so just, you know, and then anything that happens in between, you know, there's always something that happens <laughs> um, in between. And those are just usually phone calls and things like that. So that's kind of how we are. We let our guys do the work that they are good at coaching, player personnel. Um, we are observers. We like to engage and have, have discussions and talks, but um, really that Monday post game is really where all the, the heavy lifting comes from. And I'm sure in between all of that is just a lot of meetings for you. Oh my goodness. I feel like any, any time we're about to tape a podcast, you're like, I was just on a three or four hour meeting. I'm like, oh yes. my gosh, yes, I don't know if yes. I can survive. Well, I would say this year, especially, uh, there have been extremely a lot more meetings. So there are, you know, NFL president's calls. There are com more committee calls. So there are more, you know, just trying to, you know, within your own staff um, calls. And Maddie, you've been a part of a lot of just mm -hmm. update, like just because yeah. we are not together. So we've been wanting to engage people so and communicate. So, you know, we're having a lot more all staff meetings than we usually do. Um, so yes, um, a lot of meetings in between, a lot of things. And right now, you know, both at the league level and, and us, we are just getting to the beginning of planning what does you know the postseason look like what mm -hmm. does the preparation things we need to think about for next season so you think that you know you're like oh we're we're over halfway mark for the season like things should just be rolling but there's always things to do it never slows down it really doesn't even when you're in the off season there's always stuff to do and prepare for we've got another question from ontario hardaway he said could you ask him if any of her children are going to get more involved in the organization? A pretty interesting question. Oh, yes. Um, you know, as I've always talked about how I love the NFL and I love the fact that it is very family focused. So a lot of teams, there's generational ownership. A lot of teams that have a lot of um, their own kids involved in the business at all different ages. Um, so yes, I, you know, eventually I would love to have um, one or more of all my kids be involved in the business. Um, I will say my son, uh, Matthew, who is at Syracuse this year as a senior, is in the sports management program in there. So I feel like if he's not in the business, then I kind of just wasted all that tuition <laughs> money. <laughs> so hopefully he will be a part of, of, of the business. But, you know, my oldest daughter, as you know, Jessie's a professional mm -hmm. tennis player. So I think there are things that after her career, um, some connections that she really has being a professional athlete that can be valuable, you know, as part of the organization. And my daughter Kelly has worked for the organization, um, yeah. you know, um, in the past and doing a lot of more of the social media uh, things and the marketing um, activations. Um, so yes, I mean, that that is the plan. And it's always fun to see everybody around. I feel like during a normal year for training camp, the whole family's there and uh, it's fun to see everybody together. And, you know, even more than just your family, Kim, the players bringing their family to practices. Uh, it's always fun to see kind of the Bills, how far Bills players and Bills staff and Bills family members reach. It's just this whole big group of people uh, that interact with each other in a really cool and unique way being a part of an NFL team. 
no, de definitely. And that's the way we've always envisioned um, the organization going forward. And you know, the things that we do to, to make sure that it's sustainable and it's very generational. Um, hopefully, you know, we, we can be like other families that have had um, their team for, for many generations. Um, that's what we aspire to be. I love it. I love it. And I think uh, Buffalo fan base, Buff Buffalo Bills Mafia members, and just anybody who lives in Buffalo or the Western New York area would agree with that. And everybody was so excited uh, when you guys became the owners. And anytime we ask fans questions or ask them if they have questions for you, Kim, there's always a comment or two just saying, just tell Kim thank you for what they've done for the Bills and the organization and just the team that we have now. So, so many people are so appreciative of how far this team has come in the last, you know, several years. So, well, and Bills Mafia, Mafia means family. So, it, mm -hmm. it has always been that type of, of culture, even before Terry and I uh, bought the team. And certainly, we love to add our family to that Bills Mafia. Uh, family. So um, happy to be here. And like I said, as we get into Thanksgiving, just thankful for what all that we have and how blessed we all are. Definitely. In week 12, we're facing the Chargers. It's kind of winding down the season a little bit because we had such a late bye. We've got six games left on the schedule, some tough teams left to face, a lot of primetime games here as we finish out the season some Monday night games. So I guess, Kim, what are some of your thoughts about playing the Chargers or just what the rest of the schedule looks well, like? Uh, you know, Anthony Lynn, as you know, was our running backs coach, was an offensive coordinator for us, and was really mm -hmm. a high, high candidate for the head coach position. Um, and I, I would tell you, we, we loved the guy. Uh, we thought, we knew he was going to be a great coach. Um, and so excited to see him and his, and his family again. Uh, his son works um, in football, his wife Stacy, I got to know with her time here. So I'm looking forward on a personal level to seeing Aylin again. Um, but the Chargers, you know, I, I, from what I have seen since the beginning of the season, is they are they are a much better team than maybe the record shows. I mean, they yes, have been in 100%. some tight games, and and unfortunately on the wrong side of some of those tight games. I am hoping that. It is not one of those tight games uh, for the Chargers that we get a substantial lead that we're comfortable with um, for that win. But again, another new quarterback um, yeah. who has had a wonderful season coming in for, for the uh, Tyrod, uh, Ty um, mm -hmm. you know, after he got injured and really showing the league what he can do. Um, I don't know if they knew what he, what he could, Justin Herbert could do when they drafted him and put him in right away. But um, but certainly it's going to be another challenge and the new quarterback that we have not had any experience or really seen except uh, for the few games on tape. So it, it will be a challenge, but obviously hoping for, you know, a W on this one. And after what Bills fans and just what we all had to experience with the Cardinals game, I think the last thing we want. Eddie, why did you have to bring it up? Game. Oh, I, I, I had forgotten about it. <laughs> Erase it from your memory. I didn't bring it up. I just want to beat the Chargers by like two or three touchdowns. I can't go through the heartbreak. I can't go through the heart palps that were going on during oh my that goodness. game. <laughs> yeah, I, I was in a sugar coma there. So, but uh <laughs> But that's what we gotta love about football, right? So it's just it's that it's that emotional roller coaster. We were not 
Um, you know, we didn't get the W at the end of that, but it's still a good game. But like I said, still have six games uh, left to do, and we still have to get back to work and kind of with a bye week, put that behind us and just focus on what we need to do for the game with the Chargers coming up. That's what's most important right now. Yeah, and it'll be great to see uh, just how healthy our team got from the bye week. Good to see. Hopefully some, some players get back on the field that we haven't seen in a week or two or several weeks. Uh, so bye week is always much appreciated for players in general because once you get into week 11, week 12, really nobody is 100% anymore. Everybody's playing at like 80 to 90% health uh, just because of the wear and tear that happens throughout a season. Just focusing on the Chargers this week. Exactly. Well, Kim, that's going to do it for us. Uh, thanks for being on. Great to have Abby a part of the conversation this week. Thank you to all of our listeners who have tuned in from the first episode to this episode. Still many more cool guests upcoming from players to personalities to coaches you name it we'll cover it all uh, we'll catch you next week on another episode of bill's pod squad brought to you by the new york lottery thanks kim thank thank happy thanksgiving everyone yes